0: So my one and only rule of practice is practice today in a way that makes you eager, excited, and capable of practicing again tomorrow. And that's going to change from day to day.
1: Hello, you are listening to the Late Bloomer Living podcast, where we are reimagining and redefining what it means to be in midlife. Where we are gathering energy, momentum, and excitement for our next chapter via candid conversations with other midlifers about their own pivots, pitfalls, and triumphs. I'm Yvonne Marchese, your host, and I'm so happy you're here. Adulting can be hard, but you don't have to go it alone. I created this podcast to give you inspiration and let you know you're not alone in feeling stuck in midlife. Both men and women are welcome here. But if you are a woman, I also invite you to join our Midlife Uprising community for women, where we're making waves and reimagining what it means to age. Being part of this community for women will remind you on a regular basis that you're not too old and it's never too late to do that thing you've been thinking about. You can find more information at latebloomerliving.com forward slash community. And I hope to see you there. Hello, my friend, we're kicking it old school today, old school moves, that is. We're not only kicking it, we're bending it, twisting it, lifting it, balancing and stretching it. We are talking about getting curious and playful about movement. We are talking about how we can explore what's possible as we age through moving our bodies My guest today is a former high school creative writing teacher turned movement coach, anti-ageism advocate, and speaker. His name is David Wilson, and I first discovered him on his Instagram account, Old School Moves, where he shares videos of himself exploring movement and pushing his own boundaries, usually to a sick beat or fun soundtrack of music. I started sharing his videos on my Instagram stories because I love his playful and inquisitive approach. And after I watched him for a while, I knew I needed to bring him to you here on the podcast. David is on a mission to help people to become curious, compassionate, playful, and informed co-creators of their own fitness, whether they're starting out, starting again, or seeking to refresh what they've been doing for some time. Too often, I think we get stuck in a rut when we think about fitness and getting in shape. I'm putting that in quotes. <laughs> it's so easy to think of it as work instead of play. I know I do, Some often. I know I do, often. I started off the year, thinking about what I could do to challenge myself in a fun way. I wanted to learn to do a handstand, but I'm nursing a bum shoulder right now so I've backed off and I'm doing the boring physical therapy exercises I learned when I hurt my other shoulder several years ago. Frankly, I'm feeling very bored with my routine. I love yoga and walking and I'm starting to add weight training, but I needed something fun. So, I bought some roller skates as an early birthday present to myself for my 55th birthday, which is coming right up. I also bought pads and a helmet, by the way. (laughs) You know, I lived on roller skates when I was between the ages of 10 and 13, and I loved skating. I always felt free on my skates. So I wondered how it would feel now at the ripe old age of almost 55. Woo, putting on those skates the first time was an exercise in humility. I was extremely shaky and wobbly, but I also found myself giggling even when I would fall. Thank goodness I bought the pads. It's funny, but it didn't take long for my muscle memory to come back. I can still skate backwards, wobbly, but I can do it. And I can spin to a stop in one direction the only direction I ever learned to spin, to the right. But, you know, I've been going out most days for the past few weeks for for short stints, slowly trying to get more comfortable and build my stamina and trying to learn how to spin in the other direction, making sure I know how to stop safely. So my goal is to learn some dance moves. This is not about fitness. It's about fun. It's about Challenging myself through being scared and uncomfortable in a fun and playful way. And that is what David is all about. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. So without further ado, here's David Wilson. Let's go. Hey, David. Thank you so much for being with me today.
0: Very much my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation.
1: Absolutely. So... I love what you're doing on Instagram. Thank you. I started seeing your reels with old school moves. And there is something about the playfulness and curiosity that you tend to promote in your idea of how, you know, how to keep our bodies moving. This is my interpretation of what you do Um, that that I Was very drawn to. And I started sharing some of your reels because I felt like they would be really on point for anybody who follows me and likes what I do. And I then, after a couple of times of sharing your reels, I just thought, well, I think I need to talk to David and figure out how he got into doing all this movement stuff and what Mm -hmm. is the story behind this. And uh, we had such a nice first conversation. I'm I'm really excited to have you here today to talk about what you do and what you've discovered about you know keeping the body in motion as we get older and what awesome. brought you to this. What tell me more. I know you teach, right?
0: Uh yes. So I mean well, we could go into teaching. Uh, I guess as a, as a starting point. So right now, I I, I teach both uh, under my Instagram handle, which is at Old School Moves, not spelled the way it sounds, but we'll deal with that later. Um, but I I used to be a high school teacher, so it's 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 quite interesting because the way that I teach now is very unlike the way that I taught when. I was a high school teacher which was very directive and very evaluative and it worked for some people which i would say you know most of my kids if they didn't necessarily like me as a teacher they respected me and they felt that they learned something so you know it was a good experience at that level but when i became a movement teacher Um, and a movement guide, movement coach. I think I like those words better than teacher now. Um, I looked at becoming less directive as a result of my own experience. I came to understand as somebody who came to movement later in life, so I I didn't really embark on this journey until I was in my 50s. Through that journey, I, I came to understand that there is no one way and that if i give my power over to a trainer or a coach or whatever i'm not necessarily going to be able to build a practice that's right for me Mm -hmm. and if i can't build a practice that's right for me i'm not going to build the habit of practice which is really the only practice so as far as movement goes if i am working under the assumption that movement is good for life then it has to be good for life i have to plan a practice i have to create a practice that can evolve and move and grow with me as i go through all of the challenges delights and changes that life is going to bring And I hit upon the idea of being curious about what I could do, rather than being limited by narratives around what a person in his 50s, 60s can or, quote unquote, should be doing. Mm. So, yes, of course, I have physical limitations. We all have physical limitations. At any age, but I think that it's far more interesting to know what those limitations are, because I've tested those limitations and I know what those limitations are, than to just think that I have those limitations and be limited by that belief instead. So curiosity for me was also a way of overcoming something that I have struggled with for most of my life, uh, which is perfectionism so man of man
1: yeah yeah so
0: (laughs) so yeah perfectionism is kind of either you do or you don't and there is no in between and as a perfectionist I, I came to realize that perfectionism and my fear of appearing not so competent at something was preventing me from doing things that I might actually enjoy so my way to work around that was to use Two of the questions that I actually used to use as a high school creative writing teacher as 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 prompts for my students, which were, "I wonder," and "What if?" So oh, a, a, I a good amount of questions. So a, a good a good amount of my practice now is simply asking myself, "I, I wonder," or "What if," and, and seeing what comes of that, and being aware of whether it's adequately challenging for myself or, and at the same time, adequately nurturing. Although I think that's a little bit of a false dichotomy because sometimes in order to nurture myself, I have to challenge myself. Yeah. Because if I if I don't see really any development, then I I, I begin to get a sense that I'm wasting my time. Oh, but yeah, that is it's I,
1: tricky to balance. It's tricky to know if you are pushing yourself far enough. I mean, I think that is one of the benefits of having a coach is mm-hmm. having somebody to go, oh, you can do a little more than that. So how do yeah. you... Okay. So I want to get back to how you do this for yourself. I
0: want to pick up. I want to pick up on that. Yeah. Because often coaches will say you could try a little bit harder, but how often have you seen modeled a coach saying you're trying too hard or you need to rest more? Mm. Mm -hmm. And that's part, I think, of uh, uh, some rather toxic assumptions around the fitness industrial complex that harder is always better Mm. and that we always need to be going for more rather than beginning with ourselves and our own enoughness. Beginning with our own enoughness as enough. So people get injured when they go, when they do too many, Mm
1: -hmm. too
0: fast or too much. When they do too many or too much, too fast. So learning to have that kind of discernment we were talking earlier i was talking earlier about building a movement practice for life and that's a good part of it so a good part of my practice is noticing and learning how to notice so that i'm developing that discernment around whether i really am nurturing myself in this practice so i have one hard and fast rule and one hard and fast rule of practice only and it's it's interesting how this rule manifests itself in so many different ways so my one and only rule of practice is practice today in a way that makes you eager excited and capable of practicing again tomorrow and that's going to change from day to day so you know if I'm feeling tired what is going to make me want to practice again tomorrow might not be going all gung ho on something. But there are days when I really feel like being really out there. And what do you
1: tell yourself on those days when maybe you are feeling a little bit tired? Sometimes I've found on those days that if I start, sometimes it's just starting Mm -hmm. and I just say, let's see what five or 10 minutes of, stretching does and then before Mm -hmm. i know it i find myself wanting to keep moving my body i find oh Mm -hmm. oh, now i what if i try this like is Mm -hmm. that kind of how you approach it
0: well it will be it will vary from day to day but i love a couple of things that you said there one is let's see so hmm, kind of tired today let's see let's invent let's be curious about that let's see is Am I feeling tired because I stayed up too late? Maybe I had you know, an extra glass of wine. Maybe, Maybe something's been quite stressful for me. And so even though I slept, I didn't sleep well, in which case I might want to back off. But sometimes the let's see is just that I haven't moved enough. The other thing that I loved about what you said is you found what I call your can't say no time. And interestingly, your can't say no time, the one that you referred to was 10 minutes, which was my can't say no time, which is something I discovered very early on in my practice, that something that I could do to develop the habit of movement was to practice every day, but I didn't need to practice the same amount of time every day. And I discovered that- So when you that, say
1: can't say no time- mm, Yeah, let ex- me explain. Yeah, what is can't say no time? Because for, for me, I'm like- I can do anything for 10 minutes
0: that's it is you don't need to explain it that's it it's, okay i can't say no to 10 minutes interestingly i could say no to 15 minutes yes because i could think about all of the other things that i could be get. i could get done in that 15 minutes right i could say no to 15 minutes i couldn't say no to 10. and and so and even now i will use my can't say no time so if i feel too busy i will still find 10 minutes If I feel too tired, I will still find 10 minutes. So my can't say no time is simply the amount of time that I can allocate to movement where I cannot say no to that proposition. I can't give myself an excuse to not Mm -hmm. do it. Yeah. So you, you got that right away, and in fact, you referred to it at, without my assistance at all. So this interview's over. Goodbye. No, I'm
1: <laughs> well, so what I want to do is go back because um, the first time we spoke, you talked about that you had been two questions are built in here. Um, you had been doing a keto, I believe, mm-hmm. and so my I know that you ran into a a time and that, that required you to make a pivot away from that. And so I'd love to talk about that. But I also am wondering, as I'm speaking to you now, have you always been active? Has that always been something that has been part of your life? Or is this something that you've found later in life to be important to you?
0: Oh, okay, so let, let's start with the second question first, because I okay. think it's going to segue into the Aikido question. So, uh, nobody, nobody in their entire life, until maybe now, in my sixties, would ever have characterized me as athletic. Ever. I was not the. I was. I was not the kid who was chosen first for the teams. I wasn't chosen last either. Not and not that that's a value judgment in any way, shape, or form on those who were chosen first or chosen last. But I was, you know, kind of average. Mm-hmm. Kind of average, and um, I was I was brought up to really place a very high value on the activities of the mind, um, far far higher value on the activities of of the mind than of the body. In fact, I think I was almost encouraged to have a rather typical mind body split to to see somehow what was between my ears is separate from the rest of my body which is of course absolutely ridiculous but nevertheless we we i think i think our culture we do separate
1: that oh definitely right and then i think they're finding more and more through science and you know current studies how absolutely connected they are are. so exciting okay Uh so
0: i wasn't i wasn't really encouraged I wasn't discouraged, but I, I was certainly led to believe that the thing that really mattered was my intellect, and, and that's what I worked on. Now, it wasn't that I didn't engage in physical activity. Some part of me recognized that it was important, but it wasn't. I wasn't really doing it because I liked it yeah I was doing it because I sort of kind of felt that I had to do it yeah and and like many people I would pick up an activity and I'd do it for a while and, and kind of be okay and then I'd do something else so you know I'd have a gym membership that I would pay a whole year for and I'd go for like six months um bought myself a bicycle and I rode around on that bicycle and actually rode quite far and then you know after a while that kind of not not as interested in that anymore. I I jogged for a little while and um, then I went speaking of which I went too far too hard too fast Mm. and ended up dealing with some some knee pain there. Um, And then of course when the knee pain had more or less been dealt with I was no longer that interested in jogging because i was never really committed to any of it because i didn't find it enjoyable it was again something that i felt i had to do but i wasn't enjoying it so eventually i i wandered past this martial arts studio where people were rolling around on the floor and i'm I'm thinking oh that looks interesting and so I, I, I went and I rolled around on the floor too. So this was Aikido, which is a Japanese art, martial art, very similar to Jiu-Jitsu that involves blending with your partner's energy and basically throwing them. And you learn to roll as the person being thrown. So it was actually the being thrown that I was more interested in than the throwing. And I loved rolling around, but I stuck with that activity for longer than I had stuck with any other physical activity. Uh, because I think of the community and the, 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 the friendships that came through that and the connection that I had with other people, and in part because I had to practice that activity with other people. So it was nurturing myself in a whole bunch of ways that some of the more individual activities that I picked up on and dropped had not. And then I was getting up there in rank, not because I had any particular talent, but because I would stick with it and i can be a little bit you know dog on a bonish with something referring back to earlier perfectionist conversation
1: right um
0: and it was good and it wasn't good because i was always criticizing myself so even though i I kind Mm -hmm. of enjoyed this a little bit more i was comparing myself to other people and i i was even though aikido is actually known as the art of peace I, I was not at peace with myself in it, so if 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 somebody could do something better than me, I, I wasn't happy, and I I would be critical of myself, and I would I would actually be quite envious of some people, while at the same time recognizing how silly that was and beating myself up for that. So it was kind of this um, double dual, whammy, yeah, dual yeah. self-flagellation. Yeah, so, so helpful. Yeah, always, always, <laughs> always useful to to you know get out the whip, right? <laughs> um, so, I was getting up there in rank, and and I was also getting up there in age, and I was starting to get the message that I was too old, that you know maybe I I I should not be expecting opportunities within the dojo that other people of my rank were getting, uh, that I could not expect the same degree of support, that I could not expect the same degree of guidance. And
1: and the impression I, that you were getting with this was not from within your head, it was no, something that was... Yep,
0: directly stated to me. Mm-hmm. So in, in fact, at one point, I did talk to the chief instructor and I said, is this this is what I am perceiving, is this correct? And the answer was basically a nice yes, Mm -hmm. but it it was nevertheless, yes.
1: Hey, we're gonna take a quick break here because I wanna let you know that this podcast episode is brought to you by Midlife Cues. Are you looking to live life more intentionally and grow personally as you get older? The Midlife Cues newsletter is the perfect solution for you. Every Sunday, you can open up your email to find a weekly newsletter filled with carefully researched resources and tools to help you live your best life. It's written and published by Lou Blazer, who left a successful career in corporate America and now focuses on helping midlifers be truly happy and feel fulfilled in the second half of their lives. You can subscribe today at midlifecues.com. How old were you when you started practicing Aikido and working up through the ranks?
0: Now, you're asking me to do math. I used I to know. be an English teacher, not I a math relate. teacher.
1: I can relate. I can
0: relate. Okay.
1: I apologize. Okay. I still want to know.
0: <laughs> I would have been mid 50s when I quit. Uh-huh. Um, and I, Because I started in my, I, I'd, I'd started, I think, 47, 48 years old. Mm-hmm. And I, I practiced for, you know, about eight years. Gotcha. So, so you I left was, the, yeah.
1: the dojo, right?
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. So, you yeah, know, nobody really wants to stick around where they're not wanted. And yeah. and I said goodbye it was hard because I, I was actually saying goodbye to a community as well.
1: Yeah, and, that's eight, uh, years, of, of yeah,
0: eight right? years of community, right? Eight years of community and eight years of leadership within that community as well. So it was it was a tough goodbye it was a yeah. very very tough goodbye i bet and then i was at loose ends and i was kind of back to okay am i going to buy another bicycle quite <laughs> seriously but i bought a kettlebell back in the days before kettlebells were a thing and I actually bought it off the back of a truck from a guy in i think 2000 or you know, shortly thereafter so I, I bought this kettlebell and it was you know gathering dust in the basement and i thought Okay. Well, I'm not doing Aikido anymore. I got to do something. So um, I started looking around for places that taught kettlebells. Cause I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I might as well try to do it in an informed way. Mm-hmm. So um, I did. And I fell into this studio where they had one kettlebell class, but the kettlebell class that they were teaching was so much better than the other kettlebell classes was so much more respectful of me as a learner, Mm. giving me grace and space to learn, helping me become aware of my own self-limiting narratives, giving me time while being supported at the same time so that I began, even the very first day that I was there, to develop a a sense of how different both teaching and learning could be. Mm. So I asked them, well, do you teach any other classes that I might be interested in? You have this one kettlebell class. So the the woman who was teaching the kettlebell class said, well, you know, I only teach this class here, but why don't you try this Saturday class that's called Movement Lab, which I tried and it was love at first sight.
1: I love the name Movement Lab. There's mm-hmm. something about that. Mm-hmm. that exp- and- it's like an exploration. It's like... It it has me thinking, oh, there it's built in that idea of being in a lab and experimenting and yeah, experimenting is that with kind of movement, what it felt like. But
0: also, but also putting your body to the test. So some of the things what what the type of movement that I embrace and that I have come to instruct, uh, under the mentorship of the co-directors of the studio, uh, that I landed in, uh, a, a place called Spirit Loft here in Toronto. Mm-hmm they, I, I've, I've learned the value of movement variability and also not engaging in the same kind of movement all of the time. So our bodies are miraculous and they will do whatever we ask them to do and they will do it so, so well. But because we are also glucose preserving machines, not machines, but we're glucose preserving organisms, What that means is the things that we don't use, they're going to fade away because our body learns to do only the things that we ask them to do. Not the things that we might think we want to do five five years from now. They will learn to do the things that we're asking them to do now. So, for example, what I'm doing now, if it were all that I did, I'm sitting, I'm a little bit hunched forward. So my body's going to say, oh, yeah, you need to shorten those muscles in the front of your body and need to lengthen those, those muscles in the back of your body. And you need to do this with your head. So I'm going to make that really easy for you to do.
1: You're making me want to sit up straighter, or uh, Yeah, I always you know,
0: <laughs> So unless I find ways and ways to bring other more uh, or balancing movements into my life, mm-hmm. then I'm not going to be able to um, preserve as much movement potential as I can. So it's this movement variability and this constant inquiry that is not judgmental so it's the practice of noticing and then getting to decide what you're going to do with that information in a non-judgmental way based on what interests me but also on what my what my ultimate goals are so you know I don't it's sounding necessarily... like a
1: movement meditation almost, because that's what when you started to talk about that non-judgmental practice, that's where I, I started thinking about my meditation practice and just the noticing of, oh, look at where my thought just went. There, there mm-hmm. she goes, and uh, you know, without like going, oh, you can't think about that right now. You gotta, you know, focus on the breath
0: or mm-hmm. whatever.
1: D- does yeah. it feel like a moving meditation to you?
0: Um, yes and yes and no. So, so Uh through this studio, I've also come to practice meditation. Um, meditation is the same and it's different in that it requires presence. But when I hear people talk about moving meditation, sometimes, and and I don't know that you're saying this in this way, but people imagine slow. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you've ever been to a meditation retreat, and you come back, and you're so present, and you're chopping carrots, but now you're chopping the carrots really, really slowly. Well, mm-hmm. and that that kind of goes by the wayside, but the type of movement that I do is is variable, so sometimes it's fast, and sometimes it's slow, and unless I bring all of that scope into my practice, then I'm not practicing in all of the ways that I can. And I'm not being curious about all of the ways that I can move. Mm. So yeah, especially I what as I'm I thinking
1: of what, what I'm thinking of is for me, a movement meditation is um, very much when I get on my paddleboard. And uh, where I live, I live on the Long Island Sound. And so I go out on the Long Island Sound, to paddleboard. And so the water is variable from day to day. Some days Mm -hmm. it's smoother than others. Some days it's choppy. Mm -hmm. And it requires every bit of my concentration on any given day to stay Mm -hmm. on the board. And Mm -hmm. that is why I love it so much Mm -hmm. because all my other worries fall away Mm -hmm. because I can't be there. I have to be here. Mm-hmm. I have to be focused. I see a wave coming. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Mm-hmm. You know, and and adjusting my adjusting my balance and adjusting. Mm-hmm. And so is mm-hmm. that a little more on target with the way you it, practice? It, it,
0: in, in terms of the presence in the moment, and, and what I love about what you just described is how you are seeing movement contextualized. So it's not there there is no expectation. From what you just described that it's going to be the same every day that there are a whole bunch of variables that are going to influence what your movement is like in that particular moment and and even from one moment to the next so the degree of presence that you're bringing into that moment the noticing and the absorption not just of you but you within the context within which you're operating you know the, the 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 lake the wind the paddle board itself who you're paddling with the, the amount of sunshine or lack thereof as all parts of the thing uh that is what i'm talking about in terms of practicing the same thing th- that's where that's where things differ. Ah, so yes, you know, yes. going out on a paddleboard, that's one type of movement that I'm going to be same basic movement, yeah. same basic movement. And it's also actually, in some ways, quite linear, mm-hmm. and doesn't involve a lot of spinning and turning around, it doesn't involve things like jumping, it might not, it might not necessarily involve a lot of getting low and getting high. Um, it, it, will involve reaching in certain ways, but not reaching in other ways. So you can see already, I'm thinking of, okay, what does paddle boarding offer me? Wow. It offers me a whole heck of a lot of stuff. I get to build some core stability. I get to build some, uh, rotational strength in, in certain ways, but also what does it not offer me? Mm-hmm. And then I ask myself, okay, well, what, what, what else could I do? What could yeah. I do in, in addition to that? So, so it's like a functional movement
1: practice. is that it's like all functional movement. This is like moving your body every day so that I think about for me, I, I have um some shoulder socket issues, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes reaching I'm in the front seat and I need to reach to the back seat to get something. And there can be like, a "Whoa, don't do that, girl. But this mm-hmm. I watched some of your movements in your videos and I'm like, oh yeah, I can see where if if you can keep certain you know if you're working that shoulder one day working the hips another day it supports you in your day-to-day life of being able to get mm-hmm. low, go high mm-hmm. and reach around and mm-hmm. not hurt yourself
0: yeah I mean and that's largely what it is but it's 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 also, beyond, oh, I'm going to move my shoulders today and then I'm going to move my hips. And then you know, I'm going to do upper body strength on um, you know, mm. Mondays and Wednesdays. And I'm going to do lower body strength on Tuesdays and Thursdays, which very there's nothing wrong with that. All of that is great. And all of that is taking care of the body. But I think that there is an additional layer in what I'm doing as well, in that uh and and not I'm not the only person obviously in the world who practices this way, but The idea behind movement variability is i'm also going to be doing those things in different ways i'm going to be aware of the movement attributes that are going to support me in uh not only the activities of daily living but also support my own interest and my own curiosity i'm going to make sure that i cycle through those and do that in in very certain in 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 very uh variable and interesting ways so i've noticed sometimes
1: sorry i've noticed sometimes that you'll use a rope Um, Mm -hmm. and you, and you'll, and you'll swing the rope and then maybe jump and and turn and, and, um, another time, I don't know if you might use the kettlebell. Sometimes I just see you kind of like climbing around and rolling around on the floor Mm -hmm. and, and do it. Do you go into each of your practices with something in mind? Um, or do you just bring that rope in and go, okay, what am I going to do with the rope today is, is, or like, I'm just wondering, like, how you, how do you stay, It's I know curiosity is a big part of what you do, mm-hmm. Um, staying curious. How much of what you do is kind of like, I'm going to focus on this today, or do you just pick a prop or a thing to work with and go, hmm, let's see what happens today?
0: Oh, you're going to hate my answer. <laughs> Here it is. Yes. That's it. Yes. yes. So yes to all of that so i'll always do something that brings me into my body so the first part of my practice is something that that brings me into my body in fairly predictable ways so that i can assess how i'm feeling rather than assuming that i'm feeling today the the same way that i felt yesterday so I, i asked myself a number of questions there you know what feel what what movements feel good in my body in what ways does my body feel willing to do the these particular movements but then also in what ways does it feel a little bit less willing and why does it feel less willing And this almost goes back to uh, a point that you raised earlier. Sometimes it's less willing just because it hasn't moved. My body hasn't moved in that particular way for a while, Mm -hmm. but it could also be less willing because maybe I'm dealing with a little bit of an injury or, you know, something that I might need to take a little bit more care over. And then based on what I notice with that, you know, five, 10 minutes of, of noticing my body, I might pick something to do. But some days though, I'll just pick up a tool. Like I'll pick up a rope and I'll say, hmm, I want to play with my rope today. And then I'll play. Or, um, you know, I, I feel like doing some strength. And there are many ways that I can do strength. I can do strength uh, by crawling around on the floor as you as you referenced. And if you've never tried crawling around on the floor for five minutes with your knees lifted for a little while, go right ahead, and you'll you will see that it involves yeah, a fair yeah. amount of strength. <laughs> um, you know, but I might also, I might also go to my kettlebells, which I, I I love, or um you know, I might do any number of things. So sometimes it starts with a tool, and sometimes it starts with sitting on the floor, and and rolling around, and just noticing what kind of interesting sequence can I put together, and what can I notice through doing that. Where am I gravitating towards something that I already know? So, something that I I actively seek is awkwardness, which is Mm. very, very interesting for me coming um, from a culture that values uh, competence and the appearance of competence so highly. So, I've come now to actively seek incompetence in myself because if I feel competent with what I'm doing, that means that my body already understands it and I'm not growing. Where if I seek awkwardness, if I seek a sense of incompetence, where I think that if I were to take a video of myself, uh, it would look like I didn't fully understand what I was doing, that's what I'm looking for, mm. because that's where the area of growth is. And that's oh, you're also, getting you know, into
1: exciting territory, David. I have to interrupt you and ask you, because mm-hmm. I I I am such a proponent of the idea of constantly putting yourself in the position of becoming a beginner which is, Mm -hmm. I think, what you're talking about here. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, through this exploration of movement and everything else that you are in, has that then translated into other parts of your life where you are also seeking um, stepping into areas where you are incompetent and Mm -hmm. and going there instead of avoiding those situations?
0: So something that I have found myself writing probably 20 times in the last month to various people, life is movement and movement is life. There is no separation. There is no separation. So the way that I engage in movement practice is going to be the way that I learn to engage in life. So it's, it's, and it, it translates in all sorts of ways. So if I, if I seek awkwardness and embrace learning opportunities in my movement practice, then I also develop the habit of mind, the habit of spirit that is going to make me better capable of recognizing those opportunities and seeing them as opportunities Mm -hmm. in the rest of my life. Similarly, if I practice compassion toward myself and kindness toward myself in my movement practice, then that makes me far more capable of kindness and compassion um with other people.
1: Tell me about something where you can go okay, I can see where this has made a change in my life. Like this has translated into something else that maybe mm-hmm. I wouldn't have tried before.
0: Okay, well, since it's mental health awareness month, I used to struggle terribly with depression. And since I learned to be to move more to be kind to myself and be aware of of the negative self-talk the judgmental self-talk that really was not productive at all like there's nothing wrong with judgment but i don't have to have a negative association with that i can simply notice i can simply assess learning to be kind to myself learning to be curious and learning to have a playful attitude toward things uh, i haven't had a depressive episode in five years which is really quite significant for me. That's amazing. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's incredibly liberating. It, it's incredibly liberating to give myself grace and to give other people grace to not always be engaged in this um, damaging hierarchical thinking where I'm always measuring myself and others on the spectrum of better or worse, mm-hmm. and and instead seeing me exactly as I am as enough, and other people in exactly the way they are as also enough, and this isn't what I would have um, characterized my teaching as a high school teacher to be like, I really prided myself on pushing my students. And now I go back and I look at it. And I think some, some of my kids really responded to that and, and discovered things about themselves that they may not have discovered otherwise. But do I think that that was the right approach for all of my students? No, I don't think so. Yeah. And, and I think where I try to move as a movement coach now is helping people to co-create their own movement practices. Practices that are going to work for them. Because what I define for myself as challenging and what I define for myself as nurturing is not what other people will. And so some people get a little bit frustrated with me because, you know, they'll ask me a question and it's not that I'm evading the question. It's that, that my the answer that I would give for me is not necessarily the answer that is going to work for them. So instead, let's engage, let's engage in the connection and the longer conversation that is going to help you recognize what those things mean for you rather than me telling you what they are. And then you um either benefiting from that or not benefiting from it and wondering what's wrong with you when, mm. in, when in fact there's nothing wrong with you. It was the, the approach or the modality or the protocol itself.
1: Wasn't that wasn't fit. the right
0: product pro- protocol for you.
1: Yeah. I'm wondering. Um, so you, you had your time at the dojo and, and I know it sounds to me from what you've said today that a lot of what you loved about that experience was the community that, that mm-hmm. was part of that experience. And once you left and you started exploring your kettlebell and then the movement, um, have you, how do you now fill that need for community?
0: Uh, by going to classes. So mm-hmm. I, I can I continue not only to teach classes, but i continue to attend classes and one of the one of the modalities that i practice um places a very high premium on working with other people so we all have defaults and we all wear certain grooves into our movement and and the way that we approach life the universe and everything mm-hmm. this particular practice involves working with other people because other people are incredibly unpredictable so for example um if one of the things that we do is basically swinging a ball on a string at somebody else's head not not a heavy ball just you know a little tennis ball doesn't hurt okay (laughs) so you know i have a if i have a partner and they're swinging a ball at me and i'm having to avoid it There's a certain amount of variability involved in that Mm and unpredictability that I am not going to get by practicing by myself. Now I have to practice being calm, being observant, Mm -hmm. reacting to the moment, not being able to just go to, 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 to all the time because maybe I have to go like that Mm -hmm. and move, move in a different way because my partner is... First of all, observing my patterns and consciously trying to help me break out of those patterns and discover something new. So it's this wonderful synergy that is created between the environment, the task, and the people involved in the task that is constantly evolving and changing so that the noticing, going back to you and your paddleboard, the noticing is the environment. It is the tool, paddleboard, paddle, but it's also the other person. So imagine playing chicken on your paddleboard with somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's going to bring a whole different quality to the paddleboarding.
1: It certainly would. <laughs> yeah.
0: Then, it, So I challenge you, go play chicken with somebody I on I think a I might board. need to do that. Yeah, there you go. It's it's going to bring a whole different quality to your paddleboard experience, and you might learn something about yourself.
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'd be falling off that board in a second playing chicken on it. That's hilarious. Oh, my gosh, David, this has been amazing. Um, I can't believe how the time has gone. And I just, so I feel like we need to wrap up, but I want to ask you, is there anything coming up that you're very excited about that you'd like to share?
0: Um yeah yeah it's it's still a little bit of a glimmer in my eye but Mm -hmm. uh yeah i i I really would so one of the things we haven't talked uh much about but it's very related to the things that we have talked about is uh, a role that i've been taking on as more of a pro-aging advocate and helping people to uh, recognize how ageism is all around us and how so many of the narratives about Aging uh, that we have are 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 false. They're simply inaccurate, and they place limitations on us that, mm, for most of us, are 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 really not true. And, and they invoke fear that uh, is not, in most cases, particularly helpful. So something that I'm I'm very interested in doing is uh, developing what working title of it is moving for tomorrow or move for tomorrow that would showcase the movement of all sorts of people of different ages, showing how they are moving today in ways that are going to make them, as I would have said earlier, eager and excited and capable of moving tomorrow. And this is a way of combating the um, common image we see of older older people, uh, moving only with the assistance of walkers and canes, which is definitely true for some people. And it Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that those people have lives that are any less interesting or fulfilling than anybody else. But nevertheless, that is a a very dominant cultural view of aging that is simply not true for uh, the vast majority of people. And also is not as much a function of age as it is a function of um the influence of uh sedentary culture Mm -hmm. so you know developing ways to showcase how other people uh are moving at all stages of their lives in order to uh preserve that interest in moving that's something that i'm very interested in doing and I, I think you and i have have talked about getting you involved in that as well so stay tuned i know it all sounds rather very nebulous now yeah it all sounds rather nebulous nebulous now it's not specific of course i continue to teach classes uh you can check out what i'm doing through instagram uh, and my link tree there uh, and I, I i'd love to meet you so if you're at all interested in that, I'm sure on you will tell them how to spell old school moves properly. Yes, indeed, uh, I will.
1: Folks, I will have that in the show notes for you for sure. And, uh, and I'm just so very happy that we got a chance to sit down and talk today and um, that I got a chance to get to know you a little bit better. I love your approach to this and can't wait to see more and besides which I will probably continue to share your videos because I think they're very shareable and, and, and filled with value. So
0: awesome. You and so you much, can always David. take a class. Uh, you can always take a class. I've just recently started doing one-off classes so that people can have uh, a little you bit. You do them over Zoom.
1: Is that, is that. Over the, Zoom.
0: Over yeah. Zoom? So, okay. And gotcha. that's kind of infrequently offered. So if you're interested, get on my newsletter because those are the folks you know first.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much, David.
0: I've had a wonderful, wonderful time talking to you, Yvonne. Thank you so much for inviting me.
1: Well, there you have it. I love that David has only one hard and fast rule to practice. And that is to practice in a way that makes you eager and excited and capable of practicing again tomorrow boy that's key isn't it hate to injure yourself david actively seeks incompetence in himself when moving his body because he knows that when he feels competent that means his body already understands it and he's not growing growth is the goal here i contend that this goes beyond our fitness journey it goes for our life journey I believe we too often wanna look capable and competent. You know, we've been on this planet for a while now, so we wanna feel like we know what we're doing. We wanna look like we know what we're doing. But what might happen for you if instead of doing what you already know how to do, instead, you were to seek awkwardness That's where the area of growth is, and I believe that we have a major opportunity to continue to grow as long as we are alive on the planet. That's my big rant. So listen, if you want more information about David Wilson and old school moves, you can find a link to his website in the show notes. I'll put his link to his Instagram account because you should definitely go check that out. Uh, You could just go to latebloomerliving.com and look for episode 152. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a fantastic week. Stay safe and well. Talk soon.